1: Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Matt. We have new theme music, and that new theme is called Maximum Rebo, and it's written and performed by an amazing artist, Zantilla. You can find more awesome tracks by him at zantilla.bandcamp.com. That's Z-A-N-T-I-L-L-A.
2: It's my new ringtone. Is it really? Uh (laughs)
1: Uh-huh. That's so
2: great. I love it. I love it.
1: In State of the Empire, we do confront all kinds of news and rumors, but fear not, dear listener. All of the most sensitive information is safely stored behind the blast doors, so on the front end of it, we'll share all kinds of just fun, interesting Star Wars stuff, and when things might actually ruin stories you may not have indulged in yet, well, they'll be behind the blast doors. In this case, we're going to be talking about the series finale of Star Wars Rebels, as well as all of the interesting additions to The Last Jedi that have come from the expanded novel. What's the, what's the official title of that, Matt? Uh, it's the, the Last Jedi Expanded Edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see how much of that actually ends up on the forthcoming Blu-ray release, but there's a lot of weird stuff in this novel, folks. So if ye be ready for that kind of uh, deep, dark spoilery information, do venture behind the blast doors. But on the front end of things, well, we've got a surprising new announcement about the future of Star Wars and some interesting (laughs) little tidbits of solo news. But hey, it's March, and that means it's Imperial March. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) I had this this revelation last night of like, wait, uh, May the 4th, but what about Imperial March? And then I checked the hashtag. No one's using this thing. This is, this is virgin territory here. Uh, yeah, how is that not a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, hey, folks, don't get me wrong. I hate space Nazis. I don't understand the 501st at all. Why do they want to represent that? That's weird. Be a rebel. Come on. But, <laughs> but Imperial March is too good to pass up. So for this Im- inaugural Imperial March, we encourage you to tweet hashtag Imperial March and tell us who you think the best Imperial is. It could just be the name. And no comment given, or if you want to sway us with your most compelling argument as to why such and such a character is the greatest soldier to ever operate under the benevolence of Emperor Palpentine, well, you can totally do that. And also I should mention, in addition to this Twitter hashtag we're trying to start, we also have a brand new Twitter account specifically for State of the Empire, which is Willowwatch underscore... That's it, because unfortunately, regular Willow Watch was taken by a uh, now-defunct Willow Smith, as in Will Smith's daughter, fan account. It's not been used since 2014. They're just hanging out there. There's nothing we can do about it. So we're Willow Watch underscore.
2: And, I mean, if anyone has any good Willow Smith news, I mean, we might even talk about that, too, (laughs) if we're desperate for Willow Watch.
1: Or you could join us on the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, where um, we'll start a thread and. Get some hijinks started for Imperial March. <laughs> how
0: you how you gonna put down the five zero first and anyone else who likes dressing up as an Imperial and be like huh, basically space Nazis? I don't get it. But hey, expose yourself to us. Let us know who you like.
1: <laughs> it's all fun and games. I mean, I'm just saying I don't get it. I wanted to offer full transparency so everyone knows. Hey, cats. I'll, I'll tell you.
0: I'll tell you why. At least at least my theory. Because if one person dresses up as a stormtrooper, you're just a nerd dressed up as a stormtrooper. But if a group of people dress up as a stormtrooper, now you're a unit and people will step out of your way, and people's reactions will change entirely. So then you get, like, 20 of them, and then one Darth Vader. You can walk in anywhere in America. You can just, like, walk into any store, anywhere. You can get on any plane. It doesn't matter. They're going to get out of your way. I,
1: I know. You're, you're describing the seduction of fascism. I understand that it was it was very nice for Hitler to have that kind of power, but, you know, <laughs> Imperial March, everybody. <laughs> let's celebrate it. It non- doesn't, help. It doesn't help that they actually
2: are stormtroopers. You know, yeah. like the, the George wasn't really, you know, hiding what what he was going after on that one.
0: No sand, sand troopers, <laughs> mud troopers, now shore troopers,
2: snow troopers, scout
0: troopers, scout troopers, <laughs> range troopers. <I> <laughs> well, let, well, let's be honest, first order fashion is quite Nazi-ish. Oh, for well, that's yeah, not obviously taking it to the nth degree, obsessing over the imagery more so than even the original people they're modeling themselves after. It is, it is a weird psychological
2: thing that I you're right cat we could probably do an entire episode on the seduction of fascism in um science fiction and fantasy but i don't think anybody who is out there that's in the 501st wants to be no there might be one or two but but i I think the great majority don't don't want to be nazis (laughs) yeah
1: no and i do want to reemphasize the 501st are great i really do love what they do i think it's a lot of fun so uh the big star wars news here we go We knew for a while that there was a live-action Star Wars series being developed for Disney's forthcoming on-demand streaming service. We didn't expect to get any real information about it anytime soon, especially because the release date of anything pertaining to that streaming service is still very much up in the air. But it's going to be Jon Favreau. He's the executive producer um, and also some degree of writer for this live-action Star Wars television series. I
2: think this is such a good move. You know, still the, the behind the scenes is not getting any more diverse with this decision. However, he's proven himself very capable of handling CG sets, which I imagine a Star Wars show is going to have to rely on heavily. And also how to get not just good performance from like CG characters and and the actors portraying them, but also CG characters that aren't necessarily being like mo one one-to-one. You know, I mean, the performances in Jungle Book from those CG characters were the best part of that movie. And, you know, he was clearly a driving force behind that. So, you know, I imagine a lot of the alien characters, you know, it's not going to be a situation like Snoke or Caesar or a lot of these other Andy Circus, you know, CG characters where, you know, things are generally mapped to the actor's actions. It would be things way crazier. And I think it's an awesome decision for managing this show.
1: Kathleen Kennedy said, John brings the perfect mix of producing and writing talent combined with the fluency in the Star Wars universe. This series will allow John the chance to work with a diverse group of writers and directors and give Lucasfilm the opportunity to build a robust talent base. That last sentence I underlined and also italicized because I think that's a very weirdly telling statement about some things. I think that that does confront the fact that Lucasfilm is aware that there's a movement of, hey, you need to give a Star Wars property to someone who's not uh, a cis white male. Um, and in the terms of saying work with a diverse group of writers and directors, I mean, it's television, obviously, but that's a very – that statement should be not even – you don't even need to make that statement. And she went ahead and made it in that way. And then said, and give Lucasfilm the opportunity to build a robust talent base, which is a very odd thing to say of like, hey, to use a sports analogy, we're building our bench of like quality players who we're going to groom and then sort out to other projects, I guess?
2: Maybe like I I don't know that means like supporting characters in movies man I don't know that is a weird phrasing
1: yeah there's there's a lot to that and also which which then begs the question like well uh why if you're building a robust talent base um. Why is Dave Filoni not on the next major Star Wars project as a director? You know, why Why are you keeping him over in, in animation land? I mean, not that he's not doing amazing work there, but he's the apprentice of George Lucas. And, and he's a part of the story group for sure. But, uh, but it seems like, you know, he could potentially have a bigger role. Doesn't that make sense?
2: It makes sense. But I think, as you mentioned, I think part of the problem is he's doing so many amazing things in animation that... You know, obviously not that Rebels I mean Rebels may have started geared only towards younger audiences, but it definitely, especially this last season, you know, grew up, but animation will always be that bridge to bring in newer, younger fans. Like it's the first, most immediately accessible thing. And I think they always want to make sure that's solid. So I think, he, didn't he even get like promoted within Lucasfilm animation recently? Like he has a new title. Filoni did? Yeah, I thought I had seen that. I could mm. be mistaken.
1: That's possible. The last big change I remember is that he went from being, you know, like the showrunner for Rebels to being the executive producer of Rebels so he could work on whatever comes next, which we speculate is going to be Star Wars Resistance. But we'll get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, Favreau actually has an interesting, weird little side history with Star Wars. He played a role in The Clone Wars and also, as we mentioned in the last episode of State of the Empire, has a bit part or actually we don't actually have any idea how much of a part, but a part in Solo as the four-armed monkey dude, who we have a name for now, his name is Rio Durant, and uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if Rio Durant is going to be a uh, major character in this, you know, live action show. Maybe that that will help us set when the show is taking place. This this is not the Game of Thrones series. This is some other series taking place. We don't know when, but maybe taking place like in the rebels' sweet spot, and it stars Rio Durant, and it kind of like, you know, Favreau's in everything he does in some way shape or form so uh maybe the side character if we want to get really dumb about our speculation
2: hey that, that's where my mind went i was thinking about that earlier did you really this, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was just me being stupid
2: uh, you know it's well you know he 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 instagrammed about the character you know revealing that he's playing it so mm-hmm. like now i start to wonder like how he lent himself to to this project coming mm-hmm.
1: up now moving on to episode 9 there's still practically nothing to say, but something we can say is that it's going to be John Williams' last Star Wars score. Obviously, the dude is real old. But in a recent radio interview with California station KUSC, he said, um, and I believe this is, this is what he sounds like, We know J.J. Abrams is preparing Star Wars Episode Nine now, and that I will hopefully do next year for him. I look forward to it. It will round out a series of nine, and that will be quite enough for me. John Williams. He also went on to say, which I thought was a, a very weird, he has a very weird way of saying things. He said, oh, Disney Studios will probably take it further. As, as you know, Disney has acquired the rights for Lucasfilm. They will probably continue on through decades, possibly, doing Star Wars-related attractions. What a weird
0: weird thing to say. You need to know you sound nothing like John Williams, I, <laughs> <laughs> like not even close. <laughs> That's okay. That's what he sounds like. No, sounds nothing like that.
1: <laughs> I'm just re- I'm just reading the words in the page, and <laughs> I wonder what
2: this means for an Indiana Jones movie if he would come back. Back in 2016, it was announced that John Williams would compose Indiana Jones five.
1: Well, well, well. Okay.
2: I mean things things may have changed. That was almost two years ago, but we'll see.
1: Now for Solo, we mentioned that uh, we got the character Rio Durant named. Um, that's from a, a Reddit post where someone found a, a pop box for Funko Pops that had character names and confirmations on there. In addition to that was the first thing we've got, I guess more officially than not, for the Nemesis character that we've seen in the Han Solo trailer, the dude with the Kylo Ren-esque helmet with the weird blades coming off of it, who we'd seen referred to as just Nemesis, is sort of a temporary placemark thing. Um, we now know that he's called Enfy's Nest, which is very strange. It's E N I don't like it. Yes, no, it's not I don't like It's not good. And then the word nest, just as you would expect, nest.
2: I think Dryden Voss would have been a better name for the nemesis, <laughs> and they could have given Paul Bettany. He could have had the Enfy's Nest. Or it's just something different, so it's not very good.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's, a, it's a, just a very peculiar... Star Wars name but maybe it'll maybe it'll have relevance I'm not sure I don't know what to make of it it is what it is but I'm not thinking like look at this guy he looks cool like Boba Fett oh boy I love Enfy's nest that does really rolls off the tongue <laughs> that is basically all we've got for new solo news but but friends next episode of State of the Empire we will have gone to the Han Solo press junket in Los Angeles where we expect that we will have interviewed at the very least one if not multiple cast members we'll keep you posted about that of course and when next you hear an episode of state of the empire we will be highlighting whatever we have gotten from that
2: i imagine they'll be breaking down the plot for us right i mean just step by (laughs) step the entire movie (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) yeah okay i think i think we can expect that that'll have to go behind the blast doors i guess
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. know. I'm. I'm gonna get Alden Ehrenreich to say. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the um the the three act structure. We're gonna lay it all out. Uh. All these characters do these things and uh and so on and so forth. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're anticipating that we'll basically know all of Han Solo by uh by next episode. Nice. But we do have a little bit more information about the brand synergy of Han Solo, and this is fascinating. I don't think we've ever bothered to report on much of this i mean i know we all celebrated the weirdly compelling i think gillette razor commercial for rogue one but um lyle Breyer, senior vice president of global marketing partnerships at walt disney Studios, said um he talks just like john williams he said we are excited to share the compelling experiences and relevant activations that our partners have created for our fans and and these these relevant activations oh boy they're relevant they're really relevant you know, you know what kids love? Kids love insurance. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing though, and it
2: won't happen because I don't think anyone has heart or soul anymore and that sort of thing. But like you could do some great commercials about having the falcon insured.
1: Matt, I think they you might. Know? I I genuinely think they might. I hope so. I'm going to pretend because... I didn't hear you just say that.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> so, it, just it's so that's the most that's like are you applying for a job at insurance's marketing,
1: like center? Like, Doug, no, think about it. Some great the, the 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 Millennium Falcon, the Millennium Falcon playset thing that they're releasing for this for this film, it has parts that fall off all the time. Like, I bet there's a line where, where Lando's like, "Hey, I don't even have this insured," and then like you know whatever insurance mascot's gonna wander up there and be like, you "Don't have it insured. Gotta get insurance." Star Wars. How- how how great would it be? You know, you see this insurance,
2: you know, adjuster like you know doing the interview. It's like, oh, so how would the accident happen? And then you know they 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 cut to you know the the, the dish falling off the falcon again. That's gonna happen like that's gonna happen like every twenty minutes in this movie. And just to remind you, and then it cuts back and it's like Chewy giving the interview to the insurance adjuster, and you know the the
1: adjuster like understands, and okay. he's like, yeah, I think I think it's great. <laughs> now. There was a La- Last Jedi partner with Nissan, right? Yes, because we had that inexplicable like, "Come try out the Star Wars VR experience at Nissan dealerships."
2: <laughs> yeah, and a very, a very, very bad Phasma commercial for Nissan too. They had much better Rogue One commercials.
1: And and then we have, and this I think is very interesting. The Symantec Corporation. This is the the world's leading cybersecurity company, makers of Norton antivirus. And this made this this actually made me wonder. Could this be a plot component for Han Solo? Like slicing cybersecurity, some kind of some kind of thing. Obviously, Han is a very rough and tumble, get the goods kind of guy. He's not a slicer. This isn't going to be that kind of story. But maybe there's a component of that level of uh, nuance and subterfuge and so on. Where I mean, because otherwise, I mean, other otherwise, they're just going to slap the Millennium Falcon on a box of Norton at. Office Depot or whatever they're calling it now.
2: Maybe maybe uh, L337 is a slicer.
1: Oh, maybe so. Then you get the sassy robot to to be all over your uh, Norton antivirus commercials. That, that mm-hmm. could be a thing. Maybe some hardcore slicing is going to be in this film. All the slicing that we didn't get from DJ is going to be in this movie. Things are getting more fun, though, as this list goes on. General Mills, makers of Cheerios. If this was episode 9, I would have been like, oh my god, they're doing it. They're actually bringing back C-3PO's. But... <laughs> But here we are. Uh, I don't. I don't know. They they did not specify which of the many General Mills brands are going to be representing Han Solo. But maybe we're going to get him. maybe maybe
2: maybe we'll get Lando's.
1: Oh yes. Oh <laughs> yes. And I will. I will invest in sugary cereal on that day. It will happen. Uh-huh. Or maybe it'll be. I mean, I, I. There's a General Mills makes a lot of stuff. They make a lot of stuff. But looking at Solo. I got to say the one thing that they do for sure, it's probably not going to be old El Paso. It's probably not going to be Nature Valley. It's probably going to be some cereal of some kind. And if, I mean, if they pull out a novelty Star Wars cereal, you have my interest. You always have had my interest, even when you probably shouldn't. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, I agree. Novelty cereals are like, I, I don't eat cereal very
0: often, but a good novelty cereal, I'm all about it. But how- Could Lando's just be three POs, but instead of milk, he use Colt forty five. Oh shit!
1: <laughs> and and okay, this is a state of the empire promise. <laughs> when when Lando's comes out, we will fill that bowl with Colt forty five, and you will hear us eat it.
2: Oh boy!
1: <laughs> right, folks, that's def. We're definitely gonna do that.
0: From, if, if from make a Lando's cereal, I would owe it to Billy D to do that. <laughs> Yeah, can we can we get a vintage from Billy Dee's advertising days?
1: <laughs> oh, like like a <laughs> a vintage label, an uh-huh. unopened Colt forty five. <laughs> I'm sure we can find some on eBay. Now, while novelty cereals are great and all, how do you folks feel about novelty menus? I I love novelty
2: menus. Like I very specifically during the Hobbit films, the best part about the Hobbit films was going to eat off the Hobbit menu after seeing it. The movies weren't worth seeing, but the Hobbit menu is worth eating.
1: Uh, You know, I never got to do it, but I'll admit when I saw those commercials, I was like, I want those like oat cakes or whatever they were making. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe we're going to see that kind of cinematic culinary innovation again because Denny's, yes Denny's is partnered with Han Solo. We could see a Star Wars menu at America's Diner. It's the dream.
0: It's it's the capitalist dream. Like is this like a sneak preview of the type of food we might see at uh Galaxy's Edge? Oh god. <laughs> like blue milk? Do they just add like some blueberry uh <laughs> like flavoring
1: into like a regular glass of milk? Man, blueberry flavoring, that's getting complicated. I just figured food dye, but <laughs> maybe. I mean, well, you got to
2: differentiate the blue milk and the green titty milk.
1: That's true. <laughs>
0: Hold on. Why is it called green titty milk when it's when where do you think the blue milk comes from?
2: <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a good point, but I've I've never actively seen a bantha getting milked. So, um it's just, so it's just the association. Scarred, you know, like, it's, not <laughs> it it's, it's not even that scarred me. It's not even that scarred me. It's just that I, I would like. I only want green titty milk if it's like unpasteurized from the source because of like seeing it on screen. Like the the blue the blue the blue bantha milk could have been bought in the stores in Mos Eisley and then brought home. Yeah, but the you drink the green milk. It's got the
0: Jedi electrolytes. <laughs>
2: He was cut off from the force. I don't. I don't think there's any force enhancement going on. in, well, in the Green titty well, milk.
0: Clearly, it's how he sustained himself on a diet of fish oil, like, from whatever he got out of the ocean. Uh, all the other, like maybe some nuts or some porg for if you need some
1: protein, and and that uh, and that sweet sweet green milk. Mm-hmm. I think we need to look to the character names from this film to figure out what kind of menu we're going to see at Denny's. This is this. We're shifting all the speculation here onto this Denny's menu right now. That's what's happening. I mean we got we got Enfys nest. Um you could get like maybe uh, eggs in the basket, like you know, when you cut a hole in some bread and pour some pour some eggs in it, maybe that's like oh, a that's like a nest Infy's nest. Eh. I like it.
2: I, yeah, I they... like I like the idea of things being kessel spiced.
1: Oh yeah, hell yeah. That sounds gross. <laughs> 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 This is this is all going to sound gross, but not as gross as the Rio Durian milkshake. Oh boy! Do do you think that I mean Durant Durian Rio is the wrong continent? But sure, maybe maybe some kind of tropical fruit thing, and they can see if uh, if Denny's will experiment with whether or not they can get the nasty taste of durian uh, to become the next sensation from America's diner.
2: Maybe there's some of those some of those frogs that Java uh, eats.
1: Ah, Yaba! Come on. Oh <laughs> I just want to be
0: in the room when they're sitting there being like, okay, we got, let's see, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca. How do you think Lando takes his eggs? <laughs> just like, <laughs> like throwing shit against the wall. Does he, I think, is he more of a hash brown man or is he more of like a, a, a tater tot guy? Or is,
1: che- is Chewy into flapjacks? Oh, oh no. Or for the it, burger? Lando has low tots. Uh,
0: low tots. God uh, damn it. <laughs> i <laughs> and like what like l337 it's just like what, did, what, what what would that person because it's a row it's a droid it doesn't eat anything why does it have its See, own menu that's, item? that that's
2: the problem with like I, I imagine this menu compared to the hobbit menu is gonna be a much bigger challenge like hobbit menu it just made too much sense because food is such a heavy part of that universe mm-hmm. like you had all the staple items but i don't know what to do with a star wars menu for Specifically for this movie,
1: yeah. This the problem. This movie, this weird movie that takes place over multiple time periods. I mean, I I I like what you said about the frogs because that that's actually that's fascinating because you know frog legs are a staple southern meal in some small regions, but I'm sure there's plenty of like distributors who you know raise frogs for eating who are dying to get some kind of big like. Restaurant right. contract. If you sold, fro- I mean, you could do that. You could just be like Denny's has frog legs now, and they're from space, and people would <laughs> maybe go crazy.
2: I, I'd be into it. It just makes me wonder if it's end- going to end up being things just like tagging and Binks Jalapeno Poppers. Like it's not. <laughs> like it's just slapping the name on the front.
1: It's I weird because not. I mean they they did go so creative with the Hobbit menu. Yes. um We're in a mystery meat place right now with this uh with the future of of, of Denny's Star Wars dining.
2: I would say if anybody has any ideas, like please send them our way. Because there's gotta be some good creative minds out there that can help us construct this menu before Denny's even gets their hands on it.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's I think that's a really important task. But we we have one more, we have one more piece of brand synergy, and this is perhaps the most important, most significant piece of brand synergy to ever happen to Star Wars. Solo cups. (laughs) I'm not fucking with you. This is real solo cups oh oh my god i need i need to know who approached
2: who. like i need to know did did lucasfilm marketing or did the solo cups just like man we've been dying for some like you know synergy type marketing and like we got to get in on this movie it's perfect
1: it's incredible i mean like this is the the dumbest best thing If you're gonna, if you're gonna, (laughs)
0: has has the Solo Cup brand ever had a movie crossover of any kind?
2: Uh, I, I maybe like a weird movie like The Hangover or like (laughs) what was that movie? Beer Fest was that? Was it the Broken Lizard
1: film? Yeah, Um, that was. Yep, that was them.
2: Yeah, like the, the, you know, maybe one of those. But like, I just, you know, at one. On one hand, I want like, you know, yellow Lando cups or like, you know, and like cups that are like geared towards those character color posters that they've been doing. But at the same time, I also want like subtle ones. I want red ones that just replace the Solo logo. That's usually like kind of
0: imprinted on it with like the Solo movie logo. Like that's it. (laughs) Nah, 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 nah. You want the blue one that has either the red or yellow blood stripe down the sides. Oh, that'd be cool.
1: Yeah. Okay. All, all I know is it, that Solo's pledge to help us solobrate a good time is in full <sighs> effect right now.
2: <laughs> like I'm gonna have to st- like stock up on like dozens of these because like after having them, I wouldn't want to play beer pong any other way. Than beer with...
1: <laughs> beer pong in Lando cups with Colt 45.
2: <laughs> We're doing that, goddamn it!
1: And a Death Star ping pong ball. <sighs> Which I don't think exists, but probably should. It makes more sense than the uh the ladies' pajamas I found at Target, which have a Death Star with a heart on it. Um I'm I mean, that's disgusting. That thing killed billions of people, but it's it's cute <laughs> and it has a heart on it, and let's go to sleep now. Okay. Uh. Let's sleep forever like Alderon, you assholes. <laughs>
2: Too soon. Although it did happen a long time ago. <laughs> Um. Yeah, it makes me wonder if, like, for the Boba Fett film, if they're gonna like do a crossover with like some sort of Boba Tea company.
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe they'll uh like. There's that uh, that international chain. Quickly, they're 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 like a pretty big boba distributor. I don't know if there's any other sources. I don't know. Does Starbucks do boba? Is that a thing they do?
2: I don't think so. But how cool would be little little boba tapioca balls that are like. Kind of crudely painted to look like
1: Boba Fett. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> crudely painted Boba. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good idea. <laughs> <It is>. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to more fun shit in comic books. There was a recent tweet from IDW editor in chief, Chris Ryall, who actually is very recently become the former editor in chief. He, in a surprise move this past week, stepped down Um An awesome dude, though, uh, and he tweeted this, the news we've been wanting to hear for a long time, and that is that Jackson, the green rabbit from the Marvel Star Wars comics, is going to be coming back, not at Marvel, weirdly, but through IDW's Star Wars Adventure All Ages series. It's going to happen sometime this spring. We don't know when, but Jackson is coming back.
2: It's wonderful. It just makes me wonder, like I mean, you remember that Marvel variant cover of all the characters trying to keep Jackson out mm-hmm. And I wonder if they if that was always planned or if they saw people really didn't mind having that character come back and they're like, well, we got to get him back somehow.
1: So it's awesome, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> Star Wars needs more goofy green space rabbits or or very serious space rabbits.
2: They do, and 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 yeah, the design's a little ridiculous. And like, I have to say, like, it was even like, I think they took George's, you know, inspiration from like Flash and serials and stuff like that, and be a little too seriously <laughs> initially. But like, the character for that era was actually kind of awesome. Like, he was so serious and deadly. And like, I I hope I hope he's not just an in joke. You know, like, I want that character to be given some sort of like. Like obviously, I don't want the gritty reboot of Jackson, but I just like I just don't want it to be a joke.
1: You mean like like in the background, like a punchline thing?
2: Yeah, and 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 just treated as ridiculous as the design looks. Like I, I want it, you know he he's he's an alien creature in an alien galaxy. Like you know
0: that should be taken. The
1: green, a goofy green rabbit character in space is best when taken seriously because you could look at him, you're yes. like, you're a cartoon pal, and he's like, oh am I? And he pulls a blaster on you. That's right. You know, and, that's what we want.
2: Yeah, and 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 we're completely accepting of of Rocket and Groot. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, like we are capable of treating these characters in these environments. You know, of today with you know, sort of like, yeah, the characters are funny. They can be funny, but they themselves aren't a joke. So I just hope that's the way it's treated, because I would like to see Jackson's species in a future
1: Star Wars film. Well, they've been be doing awesome. like great stuff with. Star Wars Adventures. sometimes it's bland and sometimes it's a really fun all ages story either way it's never outright bad except for that Rose Tico issue unfortunately but I uh, like the backup in the most recent issue which is a season 3 to 4 era rebels storyline over a couple issues the backup story most recently was Nim Num and uh, another rebel pilot I can't remember the name of it, it who's heavily featured in Battlefront 2 just a cool story about alien bros hanging out and maybe that's what we're going to get for Jackson. Maybe he's just going to be a backup, but if so, then I think then it's a start, and it's a good start. Now, I mentioned the Watch underscore Twitter, but we also have Twitters of our own. I'm at cat Blackard.
2: I'm at Matthew Spill. I'm at Doug
0: V.
1: Banks. Doug, you've been very active on the Star Wars front on your Twitter, as we've talked about in recent episodes. Mm-hmm. And you recently finished your live tweet of a early script for Return of the Jedi.
0: Yeah. Do you want to hear
1: how it ended? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do. Because, you know, last episode we talked about the the two Death Stars and the throne room of lava, and we don't know what happened. So what happened? How did it end?
0: Oh, you're going to be so glad they changed it to what it is. (laughs) So when I last was on the show and I was telling you about what happened, uh, Luke was like, I'm not going to kill Vader. And he throws his lightsaber at a physical Obi-Wan Kenobi who's there, who's been somehow resurrected and says, if someone if, if if he needs to die, you kill him. And Obi-Wan's just like, damn, like he doesn't like just doesn't really know what to say. It cuts away to Lando, who is actually not in the Falcon and not really in the battle. Like he's he's on one of the capital ships with Akbar. They're like looking over the battle and commanding like what to do because he's like General Lando. So that happens for a little while and they're just like, damn, these two Death Stars, the shield is over both of them. How do we get it down? And we got to give them more time and uh, cut back to uh, the finale, uh, you know, on in this lake of lava. uh, The emperor is like, you know what? Fuck all of you. And then he just starts electrocuting. He shoots out lightning to electrocute uh, Ben Kenobi. But Luke is like, no, and like jumps in between. To like spare Ben Kenobi and uh, then the lightning doesn't hit Luke. There's like an invisible force field and you're like, what the fuck? And everyone's like, what the fuck's going on? And then like the emperor's like, no. And he keeps electrocuting, trying to get them, not not fully understanding like what's happening. And then you get to see when the lightning like arcs away from them, like it's like this it hits this invisible thing. You see little glimmers of the image of Yoda. Because Yoda is there like he's force projected himself and now he's like blocking it with the force, although like he can't really see him. And the Emperor is like, oh, your master can't help you for forever, Luke. I'm going to when he gets tired, I'm just going to going to kill you both so hard. It's going to be great. And uh, Obi-Wan's like, oh, no, I foresaw Skywalker will defeat you. And Emperor's like, no, I've seen the future. Sky, you know, you think Luke's going to beat me? Skywalker's totally not going to feed me because I, I live. I, I see that Luke's going to turn to the dark side. And Wait a minute. Unless the Skywalker you see defeating me isn't Luke. <gasps> he turns and Vader is like running at him and then like, like bum rushes him and wow. grabs him and they both go tumbling into the lava. And uh, that's the death of Vader and the Emperor. And Luke was like, he turned good in the last minute. And Obi-Wan's like, yep, it's all up to Yoda now. And there's like notes in the script that say what, what they're referencing to is another moment in the script uh, where they're saying like, if you die and you're going to be joined one with the force for forever, like unless another Jedi brings you back. It's not really clear, but like y- your, your soul can be saved, basically. Um, anyway, so uh, on the the forest moon that's surrounding the imperial planet um leia and han finally with the help of the ewoks and the robots get into the uh, ion cannon that the rebels have built and the planet and the moon align in the right spot at the exact right time and then they're like hit the button and they hit the button and the ion cannon shoots from the moon hitting a target on the planet's surface which is the shield generator the shields drop on both death stars simultaneously and i shit you not it's described with like three sentences that the fighters entered both death stars and blow up both of them. <laughs> like, and then it's over. And then we're like, hooray. And then like cut to Obi-Wan and Luke leaving, like they're walking through the emperor's throne room. Cause they come up from the basement and they're like walking through the throne room. And like, the whole place is like, you hear like explosions going off and people screaming and everything. And they're like, hooray, like the emperor, the empire is done. And Obi-Wan's like, ah, it's over. And then it cuts to them on the forest moon and they're all having a big Ewok party and everyone's happy. And Han's like her brother. Huh? This is so weird and crazy. And everyone's having a great time. And uh, then like Luke walks off by himself and uh, Yoda like shows up as force projection and is like, Hey, guess who's here? I was able to save your dad. And then Anakin Skywalker in the flesh shows up like alive that somehow resurrected, just like Obi-Wan. And then Yoda totally beams his body there. So he's totally there, like in the flesh now. And they all just have a great big happy party around the campfire. And it ends with Yoda just letting out a heavy sigh that ah, my job here is done and the universe is safe. And yeah, everybody wins. Nobody dies. It's all it's all wonderful.
1: That sounds like the dumbest possible version of that story they could have told.
0: Yeah, it's pretty bad.
1: To, to be fair, it was the second
0: draft and they knew that there was going to be a lot more changes.
2: Who who wrote this draft?
0: Uncle George. It was George's draft. Okay according to this you know according to the notes on and and i I give it a lot of credit because they knew this was an early draft they're just hashing out the idea because they had i'm sure they had a ton of production art for like locations were planned already creature designs were planned already uh models were being built and they're just like okay we're gonna work out the details later but this is basically what happens and it's just like it's more like i mean yeah it's a script so it's like a guideline for the film but it's even more blueprinty and not like it just reads very differently than like most of the screenplays, even earlier star Wars ones. And uh, I, I, yeah, I can easily see them being like, okay, look, George, um, we can do the sail barge, but we can't do two death stars. Cause we have to blow up that model like either twice, or we'd have to like make two models. And if we do, it wouldn't look good. It's too expensive. Okay. Let's just make one death star. And then, you know what I mean? It's just like, you can, right. you can take the script and then see how it eventually became what we know as Return of the Jedi for, budgetary reasons and also like leia's missing for the first act of the movie and it's like well we need leia so let's bring her in
1: you know and then getting her involved at Jabba's palace and so it's way it's way more of a working draft than like the first film oh, obviously sure. it was the first film the second film they had something to prove could lightning strike twice and this one it's like well we're we're a monster now so here's an outline
0: Exactly. Yeah, I, that's that's the feeling I get from reading it, where it was more of a like, hey, would this idea work, let's throw it out and see, because we got plenty of time. And then, you know, there's there's many more drafts after this. But um, yeah, it was very, very interesting to read. Ah, just so, so much to glean from. And I don't know. It's but but I have I have no doubt that Ryan Johnson, JJ J. Abrams, probably even Colin Trevorrow, when he was still involved, had had access to all these had probably read them because so much of it, and this is the crazy draft, mind you. <laughs> like, so much of it has shown up. I really don't know what else to say. I, there was a lot of tweets about it, but if anyone wants to interact with me on the tweets, I can maybe we'll, spill some we'll, more information. But we'll link
1: to Doug's tweets.
2: And Doug, when we get beyond the blast doors, I'm gonna blow your mind with something
0: related to this. Oh, oh shit. okay. Well, yeah. in, the, in the meantime, I'm trying to decide <laughs> what the next script is gonna be, and instead of it being, um, another draft of star wars cuz i just did three whole star wars movies. um i'm thinking about trying to do Christopher Columbus's not all well, Chris Columbus's rather uh unused Indiana Jones for screenplay. That wow. is not based on Kenny with a Crystal Skull. It's it's a totally different thing. And uh i'm i'm a little bit into it now and it is oh i'm so glad they didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> is, it so, is it is it, it worth than Crystal Skull? Oh, so much more. So wow. I mean, I, I like I'll save it for another episode. But holy cow, you will be you'll be you'll be kissing that crystal skull. You'd love it so much. Like, <laughs>
1: <it's> so... <laughs> oh. uh. Now, uh, it, you don't happen to have access to early Willow
0: scripts, do you? I do not. And I would fucking die if we did. But we know
1: a guy. We do know a guy. I'll ask him. Hmm. Interesting. Although, now,
0: uh, to be fair, reading an early Willow script, I'm not going to be like, this is so dumb. They did, I'm so glad they changed it. You know, I'd be like, oh my god, this is amazing.
2: <laughs> well, it might give us an idea where inevitably Willow 2 is going to go. Exactly. Exactly. Inevitably. Inevitably. <laughs>
1: inevitably. <laughs> this is the year of Willow. Hashtag Willow Watch. Tweet Warwick Davis. Uh, make sure to at Willow Watch underscore. Hey, you know,
0: they didn't use the mind train scene in the first Raiders of the Lost Ark, so they used it in Temple of Doom. And we know there's mines in the Nelwyn village. We didn't get to see those. I ne- we need to see them in Willow 2.
1: Yeah, or, or maybe Willow 2 is just a weird adaptation of some parts of those extremely strange novels I'm still in the middle of reading that George Lucas and Chris Claremont wrote. But more on that later, because this is the year of Willow, and there will be some more Willow Watch specials coming your way. Now, at this moment, we are on the verge of the blast doors. But before we go, before we may be parting ways with you, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to State of the Empire. If you like this show, go to iTunes, rate and review us. Head to Podchaser. You can rate and review us there. You can rate and review this specific episode on Podchaser. Add some tags. Let people know that if they want to hear about Willow, they need to come to State of the Empire. If they want some really bizarre and peculiar Star Wars opinions and rumors, they should definitely go to State of the Empire. Spread the word. Let people know we're but a drop in the bucket of the universe that is Star Wars Podcasts. And if you like us the most, then the possibility of us being discovered rests solely on you and sharing us with your friends and strangers as well so head to itunes rate and review us there help us pick up some heat and uh, if you do want to contribute to this show financially well we're still co-produced by the nerdy show network which is entirely listener supported head to patreon.com nerdyshow nerdy show to help chip in anyhow thanks again and now we're going to open the blast doors first thing we're going to talk about is the last jedi expanded novelization following that the series finale of rebels here's where the real fun begins. Let's open those blast doors. Open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. All right, Matt, lay it on us. What the heck happens in this book? I've been seeing all kinds of crazy stuff trickling out there. And what on earth does it have to do with the script Doug mentioned? All right, I'm gonna start with that because
2: only because of Doug did it stick out for me. Very early on in the book, Hucks ponders about the possibility of a dozen or so, or even a hundred, star killer bases once they have total victory. <laughs>
0: yeah well okay hold on now wait so the sheer magnitude of something like star killer base it's like what if every planet we conquered became a star killer base and it's like, dude, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, just that doesn't even make sense. Like, e- even if it was like a good plan, which it's not, how do you afford to do it? How can you possibly do it? And once all these planets are just giant lasers that are all pointed at each other, it's a Mexican standoff. Any one of them can end any number of others. It's like, what? What, what would be the possible point of that? It's not even a deterrent anymore.
2: Hey, mate, that that might be a a good plot for a Star Wars political movie right there, where like every system is now a star killer base. You know, it's it's like a galaxy of like.
0: Nuclear superpowers, because because if every country had a doomsday device, then what's the point? If one, it's it, the doomsday device is for your own protection in theory, where you're like, no one attacks us because we have the doomsday device. Yeah. I don't, I just, I just N- don't get mutually it.
2: Mutually assured uh, supernova.
0: <laughs> it it just
2: sprung out at me, and I'm like, I don't think they would drop that hint if that's where episode nine was going. They would drop it in the last Jedi novel. But I definitely think you know Hux's head is there. Maybe Hux read the Return of the Jedi draft and had that thought. <laughs> um so I also want to point out a lot of these insights cuz I haven't been able to uh, actually jump into the novel yet but they come courtesy of a nice Reddit user who has an amazing screen name Omnomar big EU kind of pun there which is fantastic. But he kind of put together a lot of tidbits so I went through his posts and kind of grabbed a few things that I thought were interesting for the sake of conversation. One of my favorite character insights that he points out is that Ray is not worried about Luke because she's good at two things. She's good at salvaging broken things and waiting. I was like, the way she approaches Han and Luke, like, that's actually fantastic. Like, she is a scavenger and she is good at fixing things. And I never put together that she's also good at fixing people. You know, she got both of them, you know, back in the fight, so to speak. So I thought that was a really, really good, possibly my favorite Ray character insight. Yeah, um,
1: I think that's wonderful. And if that showed itself in the films, I'd be like, that's really cool. But I mean, it yeah. does, only if you read the novel to decode, you know, that. Right,
2: and that and that may just be a Jason Fry, the author of the book, like him putting that together very cleverly, but that is like my favorite thing that I've read or have been told about Ray. 3PO's reactivated the spy droid network, so I hope that makes an appearance awesome. in future media because that's one of the best things going around right now. One of my least favorite character insights is that Kylo would break stuff around the house with the Force while growing up. Leia and Han would worry behind closed doors, which Kylo
0: did not like. I just thought that was kind of lame.
1: Ugh! you know, it's like, oh,
0: he's he broke the lamp. Is he going to be Vader, too? I mean, Luke and Leia didn't break no lamp or furniture when they was kids. And they're the direct descendants of Anakin. Right. It skips a generation. Ugh.
2: so I thought an interesting character insight because I did not pick this up in the film. And it may just be a reinterpretation on Jason Fry's part. But of course, you know, all this is approved by the story group. The reason that Kylo doesn't fire on Leia is not necessarily because he's feeling some guilt over it. It's because he senses that she is not angry at him and it confuses him. And he actually thinks that he would have uh, frozen the missile with the force if he had been focused at the time. And he didn't, you know, obviously it just kind of happened. So I thought that was weird. I thought it was because he was having a moment of guilty conscience, but it actually was just because he was surprised to see that mommy wasn't angry. Leia survives in space by feeling microorganisms and then focusing on Ray's wrist beacon thing. Huh. Truth staff... Which was named in—I don't think the novel, but at some point they named the type of wood that it was made out of. The force tree is that kind of tree. Interesting. In addition to the New Republic, some other like new states were formed. Like I don't think they forced everybody to join the Republic, which is interesting because that is just like the old expanded universe New Republic, in which there were entities that like you know star systems that kind of banded together in their own government instead of joining the Republic. You know, it just meant that you know not everybody was under the same government and. What is interesting about that is in the book is that it mentions that the First Order came from the Unknown Regions and conquered those states before proceeding to attack the New Republic. It mentions that the New Republic systems following the Hosnian attack are protecting themselves, so they aren't necessarily completely wiped out. I guess people weren't joining the resistance because they're just worried about themselves at this moment. Once again, I'm not exactly sure how much in control the First Order really are. Do they run the galaxy at this point? I have no idea. I don't think Lucasfilm has any idea. <laughs> That's um nice. Yeah, one of my favorite things mentioned is that Luke and R2 confirmed that they were on decades of missions before he went into sort of his weird exile. So that leaves the possibility that he's doing heroic things in other expanded literature or comics, maybe TV shows. Who knows? We'll talk about Rebels, I'm sure. There's been a lot of speculation that Luke might factor into the future of Disney animation. That's Lucasfilm animation, rather. Luke did not take on any Padawans until Ben became his apprentice. Huh. Another horrible character insight, because it just, to me, doesn't make any sense. It's just more like deconstruction. It's bullshit. Is Luke wonders if he should be afraid of the pupil that wants to destroy him or the one that wants to be him. Huh. That doesn't like, you mean the one who like defied the emperor? Like, oh, he wants to be the one who defied the emperor and saw the good and, you know, the ultimate evil. Why would anyone want to become that? He must be. I don't know. I just, I hate that kind of thing. Luke Skywalker's characterization in the original trilogy, to me, doesn't warrant that sort of introspective look like some protagonists have been getting these days. During the Force Bond, when Rey and Kylo touch and they can kind of see their, you know, she says, I see your future. Rey can also like sense all of Kylo's power. And in that moment, it specifically says Kylo accesses Rey's memories. So he certainly saw something. He may be still lying to Rey, but he definitely saw her past. We just don't know if he told the truth about it.
1: Or that her own perspective was so skewed that he interpreted it in a way mm-hmm. <laughs> that made sense. But again, like you know, that's material that it is what it is and the novelization can grant us clarity. But if it's not really happening in any kind of real way in the film, it doesn't right. matter.
2: There was a line in the Force Awakens novelization. Alan Dean Foster is going through her memories of being abandoned. And Ray remembers someone saying like, I'll be back for you, honey, or I'll be back, you know, Definitely like called her a term of endearment. Might have been honey, might have been sweetie, that sort of thing. In The Last Jedi novelization, she remembers that. And then she goes, in this moment, I realized it was my voice all along saying that. That screams of retconning to me. Yeah, Um, weird. Yeah. So it is interesting that they went back to that to try to like retcon a very weird thing about, you know, the Ray nobody theory that people had kind of sensed that she was someone in that like loving parents were promising to come back. And then decided to say that was her own... She was projecting her own voice onto that person. So, a very interesting throwback. A lot of people made a big deal. Like, in Phantom Menace, when Qui-Gon says, you know, not at the expense of the living force, you know, the, in the moment, the here and now. And Obi-Wan had said, Yoda said to be mindful of the future. And they kind of have a little mini philosophical debate about that. That opened up a big thing in the old expanded universe between the living force and the unifying force.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, the living being here and now type things like life and animals and stuff like that. And unifying force being like destiny and time and a much bigger aspect of it, just kind of a religious thing, you know, that the force came in two different. It kind of reminded me of like Trinity type stuff in Christianity, that sort of thing. And the unifying force is what they use in the old expanded universe. Well, in the last Jedi novel, they go way back to the well and as a different aspect than the living force mentioned in Phantom Menace, they use the cosmic force, which actually is a phrase that hadn't been used since the Marvel.
1: It had been used like, Oh wow.
2: Like we're we're talking like Marvel 1977, like the original line from Vader was the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the cosmic force. So they didn't use it again until I think like there was one expand the universe novel that like mentioned it again. But other than that, it had always been the unifying force of the living force. But now it's back to cosmic force and living force. And in The Last Jedi book, it says Luke explores the cosmic force after having reconnected with the living force. And he identifies Rey as a clear instrument of the will of the cosmic force. He also finds Leia again in the force. The will of the cosmic force was asleep after the end of the Sith and awoke during Luke's exile. And then it identifies the the living force as the energy of life. Cosmic force is the will of the universe.
1: What the heck does that mean?
2: I don't know. They're just they're going back to old George Lucas type.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that seems so tied in with like if there is.
2: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
1: orchestrated throughout the tapestry of what's happening in Star Wars, you know, a a very calculated mythology about what is and is not in terms of how the universe works. And especially based on what we've seen in Rebels recently, that does appear to be the case. Then they are defining the parameters of the spiritual nature of that universe and how all the things fit together. And that's very interesting that they're doing it in this way and in this place. Yes. And
2: what's interesting is is Lucas had made a very specific, like Qui-Gon's... Ability to achieve life after death was based on him being more in tune with the living force than the Jedi Order or the Sith were at that time. And what's interesting is is now they're going back to like the power of the bigger version, which is, you know, the the cosmic force. So it's interesting. Some other observations about the cosmic force is that he thinks it's significant that Rey is an orphan because it always seems that the instruments of the cosmic force tend to be orphans. And he he looks back at like Anakin and he looks back at, at himself all being instruments of the cosmic force, which is, you know, the will of the universe. I guess, you know, someone to bring balance or something. I don't know. Apparently, Luke has uh, put on the Jedi Master robes and lit the torch to burn the tree several times, but he's just always chickened out. The scene in which Luke finally reaches out with the Force and senses Leia, according to the book, he decided that Rey was right, and I'm going to come home with you. But then when he charges down to find Rey and Kylo, you know, Skyping... That was when he changed his mind. So he, he had made the decision, I'm going to come with you, but then changed his mind when he saw what was going on. Because then she, he starts to get real worried that Ray is going down the same path as Kylo. Which, of course, in the context of Last Jedi, was Luke's fault. Mm. <laughs> Originally, when the escape pod arrives on the Supremacy, Ray when she's in the escape pod, Kylo smiles at her when she arrives. There's a lot of pent-up romantic tension between the two of them while they're together. Like, she senses that, like, he's thinking about her, that sort of thing. That's gross. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of great Snoke stuff, by the way. Not really anything specific about his past, but some real good juicy bits for, like, future material.
1: Doug, are you so, are, you, are um, you amped, Doug? Are you ready for this?
2: I, I could give two shits, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Snoke muses about visions of the future in general and their interpretations. He learned this when he was young and the galaxy was different. At an old age, he knows how much is left out in visions. Stoke has left legions of uncounted dead adversaries that underestimated him. Snoke was an unexpected leader. The Imperials did not foresee that he would be the one. Not Rax, not Sloane, and these are all people from the Aftermath novels. The political fanatic Ormis Apollon, who I don't know. I'm not sure if that has popped up in some material I haven't read yet, but I don't know. Anyone. Or Brendel Hux, which is General Hux's father that featured heavily in the Phasma novel. As potential leaders, they're all co-opted, sidelined, or destroyed. Only Armitage Hux, General Hux, was left, and he is a total tool. Um, <laughs>
1: did, did, he, did he call him that? Like, You're a total tool, Hux.
2: He does mention it, Like he only keeps them around because the military follows him. What I thought's interesting, because it kind of goes counter to a lot of the things that we had been learning in the aftermath novels and elsewhere, is that the rise of the First Order was mostly improvisation, not a grand plan. The Emperor's contingency plan, which was the big part of the Aftermath novels, was engineered to destroy and bring forth a rebirth stronger than before. For decades, there were shipyards, laboratories, and storehouses in the unknown regions. Snoke's knowledge saved the First Order from demise and potential threats, which once again kind of connects into Thrawn's end in Rebels. Oh boy. As well as his novel. Uh, The Thrawn novel makes it seem like the Chiss are very aware of things going on in the Unknown Regions, and Thrawn sends his attache to like go brief the Chiss about the Empire. And now I think that Thrawn is kind of off the board, so to speak, for the Civil War, and he might be back in the Unknown Regions, I think is going to tie heavily into... The First Order's creation, I think some of these threats will be something. I would not be surprised to see Thrawn oppose the First Order out in the Unknown Regions. Because for some reason, now that Thrawn is so beloved by the fans, he needs to be the protagonist of his novels. It's a very strange thing. Like, even the Thrawn book, like, he doesn't believe in the cruelty of the Empire. He does love how, like, they're just, like, our way or the highway, but he's not doing it for unjust reasons. He only punishes the truly bad people. It's ridiculous. Though, I Um, I have
1: started reading the adaptation in the comics of the first Thrawn novel, and it's very mm -hmm. enjoyable.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. I feel like it would have made a better comic than a book. I think we're too much in Thrawn's head in the book. It's better when it's from others' POVs. Sidious knew of, and Snoke learned of truths about the Force in the Unknown Regions and things that lay there waiting to be rediscovered. Snoke appreciated that Luke went on a quest for truth before recreating a fallen order such as the Jedi. So he has some respect for Luke in some ways. Apparently, Luke connected with Snoke in order to gain knowledge. So Luke and Snoke have met. Uh, Hux recognizes Rose's medallion and trashes her homeworld. Rose takes a bite out of Hux's finger, which by the way, is a deleted scene on the (laughs) Blu-ray. That's weird. Can't wait to see Rose bite Hux because that's going (laughs) to add so much. Um, Hux only knows the fake story about the Jedi and the coup from Revenge of the Sith, which I think is interesting that that propaganda is still out there. And the First Order's child soldiers, their training program is modeled as a combination of clone training, like flash, you know, regimens and how Jedi Padawans are trained, you know, sort of that like from birth type thing. I thought that was a really interesting thing, too, because... I mean, there. Are, you know, that was actually a great thing in the old Expanded Universe was Jedi and clones realizing how similar they are, you know, born to do this, you know, like they never really, never really had a choice in the matter. That was always an interesting dynamic. And I like the idea that the, the First Order is like some sort of combination of that. Something that I don't know if it'll tie in the solo, but I'd like to think it does. The Falcon has three computer brains with different personalities.
1: That is and very I'm, strange. Why would they? Ha- why, where is that over specific information coming from?
2: Well, you know, essentially, 3PO said in Empire Strikes Back that, you know, your your ship has the most peculiar dialect. And I wonder if they went with that to say, like, because it's had multiple owners, that they've always put their own computer AI in there. It also makes me wonder if by the end of Solo, one of those computer AIs is going to be L337.
1: Huh. That is a fascinating theory.
2: I think it would be cool if they kind of planted that, that the Falcon is, you know, L337 now or something. I don't know. I, I think you could you could do something with that. Or nothing. I just think it's interesting that they specifically identified three computer brains. And then the last thing is there is a, at the end of the book, before Broomboy, there's a bonus caretaker segment back on Acto, in which autumn changes the winter and the caretakers reminisce about earlier outsiders, kind ones and mad ones, and then years and years without any visits. But people are always coming regardless. Ray will be recalled as Luke's destructive and rude niece, because apparently he introduces her as, as his niece. They probably didn't include that in the movie so that it wouldn't confuse anyone because I think it was just a cover story. The caretakers store Luke's weapon. So I guess his lightsaber or his staff and also the star compass. And they also mentioned that some of the things that Luke brought to the island actually came from Acto originally and he returned them. But that's all the kind of interesting things I got from uh, that Reddit users kind of, I mean, he had a lot of stuff, but I thought that was the stuff that stuck out to me as like, oh, this is giving me a lot more insight into the movie.
1: Yeah, that's some interesting, in many cases, peculiar extra information, but but good.
2: Jason Fry is someone who's been with Lucasfilm for a while now. He writes a lot of reference material, a lot of young adult material, and it's the first time he's done adult fiction in the Star Wars galaxy, and he has such a deep knowledge of the Disney canon, and also the, the old expanded universe canon, that he was a good choice to make it more interesting because he could tie in, apparently there's a lot of references to a lot of the other material that's come out so far. Like Luke reflects cool. back on like other young adult novels, like the Greg Rucka stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, deep cuts.
1: Cool. I mean, if, if you're touting it as the expanded, you know, story, then right. that's the best you could hope for. So it sounds like it does in fact deliver. But yeah. you do realize that nothing you
0: have said negates the possibility that Ezra is Snoke. <sighs>
1: No, no, it it does not. And in fact, it it uh, the fact that it doesn't is so bizarre to me that the fact that nothing that has happened so far, aside from that Ezra is a good boy, um, is <laughs> that, that nothing truly negates it. And there's plenty of things that could happen. Anyway, let's talk about Rebels. Let's go right into it. When last we had an episode of State of the Empire, there were still uh, five episodes to go. And over the course of two weeks, those five episodes have all aired. Um, most significantly, the one-two punch of Wolves and a Door and A World Between Worlds, which were completely remarkable, and then followed by the episodes A Fool's Hope and Family Reunion and Farewell, which is kind of like a two-parter that made up the the conclusion to some of the larger story arcs. Uh, I guess we'll begin. there. I assume there's a chance that some of... You folks listening are just curious what the hell all the buzz is about and just want us to spill the beans. So what happens in the Wolves and Door, World Between Worlds thing is that there is a a massive excavation going on of an ancient je- Jedi temple on the planet Lothal, and there is an abstract interactive mural that features these iconographic beings of a trinity of character creature things created during the clone wars cartoon and
2: specifically from george's brain like that was his creation
1: yeah because i don't think anybody else would have necessarily uh thought to go this direction with any of it it's not necessarily good um but it is interesting that it would reoccur here in rebels so the this this mural is some kind of like Access point to this magic portal of a sort um that opens up and Ezra walks through stone and finds himself in this abstract location that is existing at all points in time, a world between worlds where you hear echoes from every single Star Wars film, all kinds of sound bites floating of like relevant pieces of dialogue and Emperor Palpatine has been actively pursuing getting to this place. He's got a a dude voiced by Malcolm McDowell, who's this like uh, archaeologist guy who's been trying to figure all this out, and Palpentine actually manages to sort of open up a, a portal to look in there and see that Ezra's there and tries to use Ezra as like a tether to like for Palpentine himself to like to get in there to claw in there. But before any of that happens, Ezra finds himself at a, at a series of doorways. Is drawn to one and manages to pull Ahsoka Tano out from the moment shortly before what would have been her death blow in her fight with Darth Vader from the end of the second season of Rebels.
2: Yeah. Um you know, the moment itself is really cool. Like I, I the expanded universe got real weird towards the end, so I'm already used to this sort of like, you know, era manipulation already in the star Wars galaxy. So it doesn't upset me that much in that regard, but I just wish it wasn't Ahsoka that got like, that was already a perfect end for her.
1: Right. Um Ahsoka not dying by the hands of Anakin, uh, is kind of like a shame. Yep.
2: You know, and we, and we've discussed it on this show, the perfect ending would have been, uh, well, it should have been for Padme, uh, they should have mirrored return of the Jedi. You really want to give me some poetry and it rhymes is it doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but as Palpatine killing Padme and her begging Anakin to save her. And he chooses not to so that you can match it with, with, you know, him making the choice with Luke to, to go ahead and, and, you know, save him, you know, as a, as a contrast. But, you had that opportunity with Ahsoka now because that relationship was so good, but they obviously, you know, then when it came to that, down to that fight on Malachor, I was like, Oh, they might do that here in some way, but they didn't, but it was still really, really good. So I was okay with it. And yeah, it is a shame that they kind of robbed us of some like real solid storytelling. Vader's most painful
1: choices have been, have been taken away from him. Yes. Yes. He he has always been, it, 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 as it is now, Vader has been protected from the greatest hardships that would have challenged his commitment to being evil.
2: Yes. And, um, you know, who knows? At some point, we might get some behind the scenes of the Temple Massacre, and maybe he didn't do anything. Maybe he let those Padawans run out. <laughs> you know, like, Ugh. I just, it, 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 that kind of thing worries me. Um, not with the time manipulation stuff, but... Um, you know, I don't think Ezra's gonna go in and start like saving everybody from Vader. Like Vader gets frustrated because he hasn't been able to kill a single person because Ezra keeps like pulling them through portals. But um I don't yeah. Ahsoka had a beautiful end and it it hurts her character to keep her going. But once again, I like I like the method that they did it. I thought it looked really cool when he kind of just popped out of midair and pulled her in. But I just I wish it wasn't her. I wish it was I don't know something else,
1: and I like or Ahsoka. I'm, I'm, I'm like the notion sure. of having more stories with Ahsoka. But sure. yeah, I mean, it, it just is a shame that uh, I mean, Vader having a Padawan and not. I mean, we're not the storytellers here, but is that not the right thing to do in, in the commitment to evil that is Darth Vader? Is for him to murder her? I mean, like, is that not it? Like, I'm not. Sh- I don't know, but it, it's regardless it killed everyone else's padawans.
2: Yeah. And if it wasn't for Rogue One, I would question Disney's commitment to being, you know, upfront about Vader's evilness. But obviously we saw that they are capable of showing us some real evil badassery. But yeah, no, it, it's it was a beautiful moment. That entire fight was possibly the most dramatic Star Wars fight as far as conflict and reflecting on the past and when his helmet shatters and you see a little bit of Anakin's face underneath I mean it was beautiful and we were robbed of (sighs) yeah I don't know It, it it I can't help but feel it was both for fans and for Filoni because it's you know Ahsoka's his baby
1: yeah it's tough I mean and the the Online digital tops cards that we mentioned at this point years ago um you know they they all came to fruition of ahsoka w- walking through this this world between worlds, the ring of wolves, and all that it all it all came to pass um through this episode, so this has been on the plate for a long time and it's it's interesting that it happened it was very well done. I don't have a lot of regrets. I don't. I don't really bear any any ill will. It's just kind of. It is an. It's an odd choice. It is a weird thing to have done.
2: Yeah. It, it, it was. It was. It's like in order to do a very cool thing very well, they had to take something that they had already done very well and and sacrifice it for the sake of this. Okay. You know, because now the Malachor fight doesn't have that same unbelievable resolution that it did. Because it was all wrapped up nice and neatly two years later with everyone walking away happy. I mean, Kanan still lost his eyesight, but, you know.
1: And, and And then weirdly what they do next is that Ahsoka is not brought back with Ezra to help, you know, free Lothal or anything. She is brought back to an undetermined point in time on Malachor. Where he tells her, like, you know, let's meet up later
2: just to keep her off the board I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean just cuz cause, cause she can't be around during the original trilogy, obviously. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, she the... was
0: around after after the Battle of Endor.
1: Yeah, we we well we know that now. So, we'll fast forward to the the next few episodes, which is basically all the supporting cast of Rebels gets together. They all band together to Free Lothal. Everyone's there, the clone troopers, the old clone troopers are there uh hondo's there and
2: zago i mean it it really was all the supporting cast
1: and the they they have this crazy plan to free lothal by making the the little like like the command pod thing that's controlling the main city like blast off and and all that and they kidnap the governor and with some with some double cross and it's it's all good and well um it was a fun adventure weirdly though uh nothing went wrong the only thing that happened was that the clone trooper Gregor died. And it was a great show, it was a great finale. I enjoyed it a great deal, but I did find it very weird how like this thing that they they had they went up against insurmountable odds. They came in there with a whole cast of characters who were like ready to die. Right. And and miraculously pretty much everyone survived.
2: Yeah, I was actually going to say that just like Jedi. Um I will say the Gregor death pointed out to me online is actually very well done in some ways Gregor had a very interesting um, he only had one episode uh, or serial arc in Clone Wars it was like three or four episodes and he was a clone that had abandoned the cause and he had been like some droid commandos from the Republic discovered him and tried to get him back into the fight. And he was trying to hide out as like a, I want to say he was like a a cook at like a diner on some backwater planet. And, you know, he wasn't going to get into the fight and it may have been a case of amnesia. I don't remember, but whatever the case at the end, there's this very, uh, he decides to like join back in the fight, but then they're beset upon by separatists and he holds off the separatists by himself while the rest of them escape. And it's very emotional, very um, sad, and it was kind of a relief because it was sort of an off-screen death um, or an assumed death, and then he showed up in this, you know, group of of clones that was still kicking around during the Civil War. But what was kind of great about it, as pointed out to me online, is his death in Clone Wars is kind of sad when you realize it because the clones themselves are sort of their slaves and they're, you know, this political cause that they've never had a choice to agree with. They're just they're the soldiers for it. And in the end he makes the choice to to have a, a death on his government's behalf. And um in a weird way that's kind of fucked up, I guess. But this on rebels, he's fighting for a cause he believes in, which is the destabilization of the of the empire he helped create when he was a clone trooper. So he died on his own terms and it's actually kind of a you know it's a much uh better sitting death, I guess.
1: Yeah, and and it was it was it was good. It was it was a good moment. Um and I'm not, you know, like I'm not a tragedy hound. I I like things to be to be light. I just I thought it was weird how how high stakes everything they were doing it, doing on on in this finale was and how low stakes most of it ended up being even when Ezra comes up against Thrawn um there were some great things like Ezra Ezra summons the space whales that we all knew was going to come back some way somehow from earlier seasons and uh then manages to like sacrifice himself and Thrawn by having these space whales that have the capacity to um uh they they have a biological hyperdrive in them and uh he makes it so Thrawn is taken off the playing field and, and Ezra is the bait basically to make sure it sticks. And because, because, and what's while, while on the one hand, from a plot perspective, this takes both of them off the playing field, just in the arbitrary thing of like, all right, so we've got this show called star Wars rebels and it has to end with none of these characters being around, but everyone likes them. So how are we going to get rid of them without it being too much of a problem? Well, in this case, Thrawn's Imperial assets are hinged on, what he's done on Lothal. The other competing attention project is Stardust, the Death Star. So the rebels have already screwed screwed him over by destroying the, uh, the factory where the TIE Defenders are being built, but he could come back, he could reclaim it, he could make something of it. Taking Thrawn off the board ensures that Lothal will be in no way compromised, and we did speculate in prior episodes that it would be weird for the Rebellion to have a victory prior to the Death Star and weirdly they made a point in this episode of mentioning this isn't a victory for the rebellion it's a victory for us we're a family that was forged on Lothal and did all these missions on Lothal and we're gonna come back and we're gonna you know this this is this is our this is our fight so the, the story ended up being like the whole thing's about Lothal that's how we're gonna round this out we're gonna find out what happens it was a weird it was a weird because seasons two and three were not really about Lothal at all. They were about the characters. They were about the founding of the rebellion. And I felt like this this last season, which was shorter than seasons two and three, um, by something like six episodes. I, I mean, I think this was planned, but on the other hand, it's just it's it felt really weird how it shifted from being about the rebellion getting to the place where they were in Rogue One, to saving this backwater planet. Or like it's not really backwater, but saving this planet. And it's a good thing. And then what they say is, like, this, this was a, a victory for us. And then also, the Empire never came back. Things started heating up with, the, uh, with I guess, the, the Death Star happened, and, and no one ever ended up taking, retaking Lothal, which is shocking. And I don't really uh, – that doesn't make sense at all. But, okay, it's nice. Well, I mean, post uh,
2: one thing they did bring up is that post-Death Star, the war became more open like that's and they get into this in the first battlefront book like it's now like a full like military organization as more planets like join up and the rebellion actually makes like offensive pushes into systems like the empire is being pushed back so it, it kind of like made sense with the way they've sort of rewritten this war in the disney mm-hmm. era so i'm not surprised they didn't come back to lothal but it makes me wonder if the reason they even went into the creation of the rebel Alliance is because of rogue one and its ramp up because they were suddenly like, Oh, we could use force Whitaker. We could use uh Mon Mothma. We could kind of get into that. And at the same time, sort of, uh, you know, obviously tie into that movie, but also give some people some tidbits into that, like how the rebellion was founded. Cause I, I, I don't know if they, I feel like the story was always kind of about Lothal overall. Cause that was always Ezra's goal. And Ezra was always right. been the main protagonist. Um, and I still think he has the most satisfying arc. Like I love Ezra by the end of the series and I c- couldn't really stand him in the beginning. Like, I think he's one of the most accomplished Jedi Knights that we've seen, you know, on, you know, uh, uh, pro- Jedi Knight protagonists that we've had because we actually got to see him at like full mastery. Like he handled himself so well in that final battle, both at the little base that they had on Lothal and then on, um, uh Thrawn Star Destroyer and you know with the 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 space whales and, and Thrawn. So I really enjoyed that. But I actually I, I well I am a little surprised they didn't tie in the Lothal victory as sort of what made the Rebel Alliance become bolder and actually kind of get involved. I guess Rogue One sort of insinuates that it was just Jinn, you know, heading out to, to scarif that sort of did it. But certainly the victory on Lothal probably galvanized people like Mon Mothma for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. How could it not? It's, I mean, like against all odds, truly. I mean, and with it coming out the other end so unscathed. I mean, they, they did it. They nailed it, and the sacrifices were high because you know they lost two Jedi in the process, and, and well, in one case, like literally lost. No one knows where he is, and yeah. and Ezra tells Sabine something like, "You'll know what to do," which is a weird. Like she thinks he knows what he means, and then it cuts to after Jedi, and she's like. But what I was supposed to do is actually find him, which I didn't do this whole time. <laughs> so let's let's get to that epilogue now, because that epilogue is yeah. a loaded baked potato.
2: <laughs> well, I'm sorry. One thing before we get to the epilogue. OK, I do want to mention how fucked up it is that on a generally children oriented TV show that they blew up the dome. <laughs> I mean, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of Imperial personnel. On oh, that yeah. Dome.
1: That was that was a mass murdering. There was a lot. There was a lot of that happening in this episode
0: yes there was a lot of murder also also the the debris i was actually worried about like it's like oh look there it goes up in the air and it's like barely taller than like than than it was tall like it's barely higher than it was tall and it's just kaboom i'm like that's gonna land on somebody they said
2: it was over the the sea but yeah it didn't look like it (laughs) that's what i thought too i'm just like oh wow i maybe maybe they should let it get to space or or something like you know have it head towards Lothal's sun or something. But Yeah,
1: they they locked thousands of people in a in a moving mobile base thing, locked them in, and then detonated it over the ocean. That is a terrorist move, if I've ever heard one, which is fine because this is war and that's that's what they're doing. That's the the stakes are high, but like, but wow, yeah, that was serious. Yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. So then they're like, yeah, here here's what's up. So Callus and Zeb, they are male friends. They are friends who are, who are men's, who are okay with being men's together. Make of that what you will. But Callus found out that he didn't commit genocide. There are still other, whatever Zeb aliens are called. And Lasat. Then, Lasat, yeah. And, and then, and, and Callus was w- accepted as one of them. That's okay. That's, that's wild. Um, and I, and I, I do want to ship those characters pretty badly but Dave, Dave's like, callus is hot, 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 hot and Zeb. Sure. Why not? Um, Dave, Dave has said, you know, Hey, you know, men should be able to be affectionate with each other and make of that what you will. But, you know, and I, and I agree with that too. Um, so that was, that was good and fun. And then Hera, Hera, I guess, Hera had a a half breed Twi'lek human baby named Jason Cindula, Jason spelled like Jason solo right on which which was hella fun and I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was spelled that way but matt you I guess you were watching with subtitles and then Star Wars the Star Wars Twitter account said without any comment of anything else just like a la carte said spelled exactly like you're hoping it is wink face <laughs> hashtag Star Wars rebels is
0: this the first time we've seen a, a cross-species child in uh, anywhere in Star Wars?
2: I think so. I mean, I certainly can't think of one off the top of my head. And... I you know it it would have something that I, I feel like i would have noticed or paid attention to in the old expanded universe we've certainly seen cross species relationships and i remember like in the x-wing novel like someone makes a joke about like how that works and and me like oh my god was that a sex joke in a star wars novel which isn't uh, an uncommon thing anymore but back then it certainly was um and it was between a salonian and a human uh, but you know no one's ever pointed out the potential children of a relationship like that. And I mean, I don't know how that would work. Cause I haven't studied like theoretical, like, you know, Xeno biology of that sort of thing. But, um, I assume is as, like, as long as you have the same number of chromosomes,
1: I think it can happen, but I, the results it, are yeah. unusual either way. Jason solo yes. is an odd looking kid. Yeah. And,
0: it seems to be impossible by all accounts, but for whatever reason, because we have to have a happy ending. Hey, you know, it's a, he has a kid.
1: It's it's a weird it's a weird ending though, right? Because like I love that he's called Jason Cindula. I love that uh you know I love confirmation that Hera and Kanan fucked. Like, not that I needed it, but like it's weird, it's weird because I feel like the existence of Jason Cindula is only saying, and they fucked. And I'm like, Right, <laughs> why did no, I need I, that?
2: I, I agree with the cap. I, I think that the to me the the bigger deal is the implication that in the Star Wars Galaxy, in a Animated show Disney is okay saying that like two adults fucked without confirming that they loved each other beforehand because apparently they didn't say that until you know right before he died.
1: Yeah, well, here's the thing the timing on this kid is weird because like I mentioned last last episode Hera is in Dr. Afra right now and in Dr. Afra she seems like a little broken to say the least we'll probably get more into it in, in the forthcoming issues But this is post A New Hope. She is alone. There's no chopper. She's running a rebel training, rebel fighter training camp basically by herself. That seems like the kind of thing you do when you're messed up because all your friends died. And if she had a kid at that time, I don't think she would be burning herself out as bad as she clearly was. So that's right. interesting because that would mean she had the kid and then there was like, I can't do this. And, and maybe like, it was like, no, no, no. Someone else take care of like what happened there. And what's more is that, you know, she is an active participant in this like, you know, the Civil War. She fought on Endor as they confirmed. They they confirmed that, yes, in fact, Rex is on Endor, meaning inevitably that he is the dude with the beard in live action in Return of the Jedi which is interesting and fun. But this baby, I can't like where on earth does raising this child fit into her exploits and tr- and and what we've seen so far. I'm just not sure what to make of it. And-
0: okay, okay, wait, okay. Hold on, hold on. Now, did in the show how do they introduce the child? Do they say That it's Kanan's child, like, specifically? They do not,
1: and that is a thought that I've had, that perhaps it's not Kanan's child, but, like, the implication is there strongly, because it's, like, it's painted in this, they had a happy ending, because they fucked.
0: Right, but
2: Sabine says, like, and the father, well, you know, like, she says, well, you know.
0: Right, Uh, I guess, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, as far as Disney TV is concerned, that's, that's, that's pretty much everything, but I have no doubt in my mind that that is exactly what they meant.
2: Sure, uh, yeah. Also, they've they've done this this aspect of of uh, you know young mother in the Galactic Civil War going off and still fighting the war while having the kid. Snap, Wexley, uh, uh, Greg Grunberg's character from uh, Force Awakens and mysteriously missing in Last Jedi. He's one of the characters in the aftermath novels, and he's still like a young man. I think he's like probably sixteen, seventeen. And he might even be younger than that. Um, his mother, he resents his parents for having left him on Akiva to go fight in the Galactic Civil War. Like, they were rebels and they left him behind. So, like, left him in the care of, of some person they knew. But, you know, it, it might be a similar situation that I wouldn't be surprised to find out that, like, Jason Sindula mostly spent time with, like, maybe Hera's father. Maybe he stopped fighting because they came to some weird, uh, you know, a accord over the course of the show
0: well also you <laughs> hera is twi'lek and even on earth there are animals that once they get pregnant they can delay the pregnancy for several months or up to a year or more if the conditions aren't right so we're talking about an alien species here
1: who the hell knows yeah we can I, we can no prize this left and right it is however peculiar
0: I, and and, and even, I have to admit, I'm a little miffed that – miffed may not even be too strong of a word. I'm just – I'm 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 a little weirded out by the fact that this was ev- even physically possible. But the thing that bothers me most about it is that it's just a human with green hair. <laughs> like it's just yeah. – it's a human being well, with green hair. That's it. The, the, the...
2: Star Wars are always classified, you know, humans, near humans, uh, you know, humanoids, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's no reason to th- – I mean – Is it necessarily that they couldn't have evolved from a common ancestor that they couldn't mate like a? I mean, this is probably completely off, but like, isn't like a mule like a donkey and a horse? Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, like I mean, I feel like a liger is a lion
1: and a tiger. Right.
2: So I feel like I mean I know it's a little different because it's like species that you know can go back quite a few generations and you know kind of come from a common ancestor, but. I mean, we don't know how things evolved in the Star Wars universe. They might come from a common ancestor. Yeah,
1: it's it's a fantasy, make believe, not really science science fiction, and that's that's weird. That's it's that's fine. the The one thing I think is that I feel like I just feel like the design could have been stronger and yeah. sold the idea of um you know a cross species blend of some kind a little bit more. Like for example, looking Twi'lek, but with short head tails you know or something like that like that seems more like it's it's half and half like because green green hair does not make me think oh that kid's half twi'lek like or just
0: keep keep the design exactly as it is but instead of like the skin of a person given like a slight give him the green stripes on his face that matches Hera. You right. know right i'm saying
1: yeah yeah
2: i i think adult jason will be much more extreme of a Of a design.
0: Is he going to pop out of a cocoon? (laughs) Like he's suddenly going to change when he gets puberty?
2: Well, well, yeah, puberty is quite changing. I mean, obviously some similar characteristics, but I I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll have some head tail stubs. (laughs) I'm sure
1: that this was a very difficult decision for them. I'm just very surprised at which one they settled on. Um, Then we get get, uh, (laughs) Ahsoka as Gandalf the White. Returning, much to the surprise of Sabine, and they both go off together to find Ezra, I guess. And that's somewhere in an undetermined point in time after Return of the Jedi, while the Republic is celebrating its victory from the the Imperials. We don't we don't know when, but Lothal is doing really well. It looks gorgeous there. Now that's all we got. I mean, in theory the the inevitable, se- like, next Star Wars series that we anticipate will debut this fall. I thought it was going to get announced right here after Rebels. I'm surprised it didn't. But I feel like this epilogue was all but confirmation that it is, you know, it is coming, and whatever happens next will be this story. If it's not, I guess, you know, Disney has other plans, and that's fine. But uh, But presumably... Felony has things in place to tell this someone, somehow, somewhere.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if these characters, if they appear, maybe taking a like an Ahsoka support type cameo role to continue that storyline a little bit. But I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, starring Ezra. I think they definitely would go after like a new protagonist.
1: Yeah, they want to rebrand. And also there's the question of, you know, who is who is the audience for cuz Rebels started off and then uh, in one way that where it was a way more young adult than it ended up being and like most shows of that kind grew with its audience. And yeah, there's there's a lot of questions there about about what that means where they want to start it off um if they want to have I think it would be in their best interest to have a show that can say with the same like it it doesn't need to grow because it's so all ages everyone can enjoy it which is I feel where rebels ended but it's not where it began
2: oh for sure and I I will say like you know that we've talked about it Uh, the fandom is in a weird place right now as far as um, just being hostile and you know I keep on seeing like no one hates Star Wars movies more than Star Wars fans and I'm like why is that a thing you know like like, just because you dislike the film doesn't mean you hate Star Wars films. But, but you know, it, it, it's been a little toxic lately. It's been a lot of toxic lately. And I was just happy that the Rebels finale, everyone seemed to g- generally love it and love the conclusion that it came to. And the questions that it posed has provided a lot of really fun speculation. Not the kind of, like, your Snoke theory is stupid type speculation, but, like... Ooh, what's this next show gonna be? Is it gonna, are are Luke and Ben gonna be like side characters? And maybe Ezra's gonna train, maybe maybe Jason Syndula has the force. Maybe like, it's been really fun. Like, is Thrawn gonna play into it? Is essentially gonna be like post Return of the Jedi, Thrawn trying to uh, like destabilize the New Republic? Like, it could go in a lot of different places. Are Ahsoka and Sabine the stars? Like, there's a lot of cool, cool things that this new show could be and i'm glad to see that everyone's having fun
0: speculating about it
1: isn't that nice isn't that great
0: <laughs> i know it's it's refreshing well once the speculation's over and the show begins people will complain oh i'm sure i'm sure once the first like you know the
2: character design is terrible <laughs> like the, the animation's awful i mean all those things that we heard about star wars rebels and it's like for a lot of people including myself it's my favorite part of current star wars so you know it's People people will complain, but right now everyone is in like a nice happy period. Like it's kind of the uh, the glow of the morning
1: after. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll get there. I mean, one way or another, if Dave Filoni is running the show, it will be uh, more satisfying and more Star Wars than most of what we'll get in the theaters. We can always guarantee that it will be at a sweet spot of Star Wars warm and fuzzies, and that's a good thing. I I still think there's a very good chance that it is Star Wars Resistance to come and it will be a 2D show and it will be coming out this fall. And though there's no clear event where it could get debuted, I suppose there's a chance they could air on the side of Comic-Con being a reasonable place to debut something like that.
2: Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me. You know, I thought I just I still know so little about ex- like the whole First Order timeline that Star Wars Resistance seems like a weird show because I imagine it takes place before Force Awakens. Could Poe Dameron be a character?
0: More likely, young Poe and uh, young Jason. Jason would be a little bit older, maybe a hotshot pilot like Hera, you know, taking after his mom a bit and uh, has got a little bit of the Force. So, you know, he's he's a really good pilot because, uh, you know, the age difference and everything. But uh, I think Ezra, I still think Ezra could be Snoke. That's the whole thing. That's (laughs) like he went out into dark space coming back with a thing you're like oh well there's this the first order is showing up and they're they're terrorizing planets we need to form some kind of resistance sabine Hera, get the whole gang and then like who's the leader behind this thing this mysterious leader who could it be and then it, it blows their freaking minds when they find out i hate you doug <laughs> you only hate it because it makes sense no <laughs> if it didn't I, if it didn't make sense you'd be like oh come on i will say off.
2: i will say i'm a little uh surprised because we knew or, or we 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 suspected that Ezra would be kind of you know, as we mentioned removed from the the playing field, so to speak, for the sake of the original trilogy. you know, they introduced this this time concept, this you know the the door between worlds and you know the doors and that didn't play into Ezra's disappearance, which makes me wonder what what's the plans with that? I cannot believe that it would only be to save ahsoka.
1: Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, because I thought that was so so crazy, watching that episode and being like, and we're pulling back from this? Are they going to get back to it? But no, those two episodes were so concentrated in amazing yep. mind-bending Force stuff that could have very gracefully removed Ezra from the time period and put him somewhere else, very much mirroring the sort of theories that we were talking about beforehand. And then it didn't go that route at all, which is fine. I'm happy with being surprised. But... They had in their hands a method to gracefully remove him from the obtrusive time period and instead did something that's batshit crazy that is way harder to explain. It is.
0: And you didn't need time travel to save Ahsoka.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the whales were well done, but you're right. It did come out of left field from something in season two. And they did give us a well thought out, deeper force you know, like uh, mythos to to remove him. And and also to tie in, as we always said, you know, Ezra, he's the bridger. Like he bridges generations and and like his connections to the prequels and to Clone Wars and to the sequel trilogy and to Rogue One and to Solo and all these things. It would have made sense for him to kind of be the master of that universe. And, and when Palpatine's hologram in, reintroduces him to that in this episode, that he has the opportunity to save his parents I was like, OK, I don't think he's going to do that because that's the obvious choice here that, you know, he's grown beyond that. But he is going to do something like as the Star Destroyer is falling apart, he's going to jump through portal and get stuck there until the resistance era. That's what I thought was going to happen. But it didn't. He just went off into the unknown regions, I I I, suspo- I suppose. So I don't know. It's 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 weird. So I, I can't imagine a situation in which that doesn't come back up again for Ezra, unless it was just a way to bring Ahsoka back. And I just I really hope that's not the case.
1: Yeah, it's such a weird thing to have just to have something so very perfect for the for a meta context purpose that we all know needs to be in play. Um, but it it happened. Uh, I want to, in closing, say something that uh, quote quote Dave Filoni. He said at a Q&A following the screening of Wolves in the Door and World Between Worlds, everything Ezra wishes for out loud is a dangerous thing to do. If you watch and listen when Ezra talks and he makes certain statements, there'll be a thunderclap, and that thunder is representative of something else listening. There's multiple things going on in there, and everything becomes a choice between how you want to use power and control and influence others. So if you are re-watching that episode, that's something to watch for is what is as we're asking, what when are the thunderclaps happening? And just figure out what he means by something else listening.
2: And you know, I I, I want to say there were thunderclaps back in the Mortise trilogy in Clone Wars. Like I feel like that that could be just me misremembering or projecting or something. But I feel I don't know, this 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 Mortise involvement and Ezra's powers like I, I just I'm shocked that it didn't go there in the finale um and and you know we also said on the previous episode it's so late to be introducing these concepts as it is like this is something that you bring in like you know three quarters of the way at the the very latest and then you you know use it at the end but um you know for it to happen the week before the finale that's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, it's weird.
2: And then, and then not to use it in the
1: finale. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes me wonder, you know, if if Dave was under some kind of like pressure to do things a certain way, or there were a couple concepts, and you know, he ended up taking the best route he could under the circumstances. But that there were maybe there were other factors in play that led to this decision of combining so many different disparate elements together into what became the end of the series.
2: Malcolm McDowell was voicing the imperial agent that was uncovering the temple. I mean, that's a you know, he does pop up in weird things, but, like, that's a great get, and it wasn't really advertised, or... No. Like, I, I don't... Is that, is that character... Like, is there a future for that character?
1: That character's dead, man.
2: Well, I mean, like, a future in other... Oh, media. media.
1: Yeah, pro- I mean, probably. He seems like he's, like, the sort of dude that could show up in Charles Soule's Darth Vader comic or something. Like, he's right. he seems like he's a well-connected guy.
2: Yeah. and And, you know, I... Maybe the next show isn't Star Wars Resistance. Maybe that's too on the nose following Rebels. And maybe the next show is something more like I don't want like a time travel, you know, trotting Ezra going through every era. But like, you know, maybe they need something more force heavy and using that doorway. I don't know. I don't know what I want. There's so many ways to conjecture about this next series.
1: (laughs) Yeah, something. One last thing I would do want to mention also is that uh, Filoni said that Kanan engineered Ezra saving Ahsoka, that this whole thing was, I guess, Kanan's Kanan's resolve to knowing that he needed to die was to put Ezra in a position to make all these little moments happen, to put him in a place. I don't know why Kanan couldn't have been alive for this journey, but that he felt that one of the greatest mistakes that he made was not walking away from what was happening at Malachor and the opportunity to save Ahsoka. Is him fixing this and using Ezra to fix this problem. Hmm. That whole thing—it's all very interesting. It was all very good. It was all very well done. But so I have so many, so many questions about the process of writing this and why it happened in a certain way. Don't know if we're ever gonna get the answers on it. But it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's a process. It's a debate when you're working with so many people over such a long period of time. Who knows all the ways that it may have changed forms since that moment when Filoni decided, you know, had had Ahsoka die on Malachor. Release those images suggesting something else, teasing something. And, you know, we got a resolution that fit with all those pieces, but it might have been different in delivery in the long run as he was looking at it at the time. Because here we are, you know, he had 22 episodes for season two, 22 episodes for season three, 16 episodes for season four.
2: And the way they released these last episodes smacks of...
1: Get it over with?
2: Yep, just get it out. Not because they're dissatisfied, but because... They're moving on to the next phase, which you know of of Star Wars. Like we've talked about, I think the Star Wars story is ending. Like that moniker, I think they're trying to create like the Johnson trilogy and the Benioff and Weiss series of movies. Like they may not be saga films, but they may be trying to create new sagas you know, movies that have sequels and live beyond and hopefully get like big fan followings on their own. Yeah, and I want to point out
1: that we don't know that the A Star Wars Story branding is for sure dead. It's just a conjecture on our part, which we'll find out pretty quickly depending on what else they choose to announce or not announce if it's true. But right now, we see that the budget for Star Wars is expanding greatly to a number of projects and not a single one of these is a standalone film.
2: Yep, they are all trilogies or series. They make movies that probably could earn the A Star Wars Story title treatment, but I don't personally think you'll ever see it used again after Solo, which I don't like.
1: I don't like it either. I mean, I don't, I don't like the A Star Wars Story branding, but I do like the notion of cool standalone films that exist at different points in time. I think that's great. But maybe perhaps they're finding that dipping in and out of different points in continuity is very confusing for the average moviegoer. Possible. Very possible. But we'll find out sooner than later. We'll see you in a couple weeks with all kinds of awesome stuff, I hope, from the mouths of the people who made Solo a Star Wars story. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. I'm Cap. Bye. I'm Doug. Bye. I'm Matt.
0: State of the Empire is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequencesound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at Nerdy Show Studios, home of the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. Discover more at nerdyshow.com. Our theme song, Maximum Rebo, was written and performed by Zentilla. Find more awesome tracks at zentilla.bandcamp.com. Special thanks to our bottom Pals and the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, the Nerdy Show Network Patreon backers, and Arden Lynn, ancient master of Taras Kazi. She's Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Mara Jade all rolled up into one. She was never considered as a love interest for Luke, but I'll ship the hell out of it, even if no one else will. You know, if you're in the resistance and you lose your blaster, they charge you 85 credits. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's why Haldo went down with the ship. (sighs) Jesus.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods